Hello and welcome to the Weekend Booktopian, a podcast where a few booktopians get together each week to talk book news, share what we've been reading, and then face off in a deathly round of book-related trivia. You, are not, you all know the drill by now. I'm Olivia Frico, Senior Content Producer and Editor of the Booktopian blog, and I'm delighted to be your host again this week. Uh, joining me today is Ben Hunter, our Fiction Category Manager. Hi, Ben. Hi, Liv. Uh, Nick Wasiliev, my fellow Senior Content Producer. Hi, Nick. Hey, Liv. And Scott Whitmont, our Business Development and Relationship Manager. Hi, Scott. Hi, Liv. Hi, everyone. <sighs> How are we? What are we doing? What's bringing us joy this week? Well, we've all got a bit of lockdown malaise, of course, like everybody out there. And uh, I know there's a lot of people worse off, so we count our blessings. But our books are getting us through. At least in my case, they're helping. Um, you agree, Nick, don't you? Yeah, it's it's nice to have a bit of time to, to do reading um, and have a bit more time for, for, for engaging and stuff like that. But also a bit of baking, which I know is we all go through phases of baking a lot and, and reading a lot. Um, and my partner and I have been uh, cooking a lot of focaccia bread um, a lot over the last couple of days, which has been a huge amount of fun. But mostly apart from that, just spending time in my Udi. I'm, I'm sorry we're not in the same LGA, Nick, so I can't uh, taste your, you know, sample your focaccia there. We have to move Maybe closer. you're lucky, Scott. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Amateur baking. Um, I've, I too have been reading a lot. Um, been listening to audio as well. I, there's um, uh, one thing I'm excited for this this weekend. We're recording the weekend, Booktopian. Um, uh, uh, Antidote Festival is on, and that's going to live stream. That's curated by the Sydney Opera House. There's some really learned, interesting speakers at that. Um, there's also, uh, I don't know if you guys are into TED Talks, but um, there is a a new one. Oh my goodness, I've forgotten the name of the bloke. I was about to name drop him. Uh, who what wrote? Is the uh, TED one, Ben. <laughs> uh, we need a TED talk for me for sure. Um, he's the bloke that wrote the Mars trilogy. Uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. He he he's on the TED channel. I mean, it's not a TED talk in front of an audience, um, but he's got this new video out, which is uh, like a history of the 2020s, written from the future, and it is this oh. optimistic, really intelligent, uh, brilliantly worded uh, piece. Uh, you know, performed for the TED audience um, and it's really cool uh, it, uh, he of all um, sci-fi writers has a grasp on planetary dilemma <laughs> I put it that way like uh, not just the climate but but you know the collapse of the biosphere and and what that will mean uh, and and he he writes about it in a really clear-eyed way uh, so that of all um, Speculative fiction makes me really interested. I, I think he's awesome. So uh, if if you if you're a fan of Kim Stanley Robinson or or if you've if never heard of him, um, but want a, a quick and easy taste without having to commit to a big bulky book, jump on YouTube and look up his TED talk. I wonder if he gives any hints as to how the 2020 is going to end. We've got so many question marks right now about uh, how we're getting out of all this. Uh, it would be interesting to know if he included that. He's in very it. positive. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Udi's, Pocaccia, and TED Talks. That sounds good. 
I'm, I'm just really enjoying spending time with my dog. <laughs> She's really cute. Well, we had better get into it because we only have an hour. Uh, so let's get on to the book news. Um, the big item this week is the Stella Prize has rebranded to mark 10 years of the prize. Um, and they announced the new visual identity and their website, I think it was last night or the night before. Either way, it looks amazing. It's got like slightly updated logo, some bright new colours, because I feel like all of the women's prize, like women's literary prizes were that lime green shade. I don't know how or why. <laughs> they didn't want to be it pink. to what, deep blue now, royal blue. Yeah, it's deep blue. It's still got the green there, but it's like a nice fresh logo. Looks great. Um, but the rebranding also involves changes to eligibility which is really cool. So as well as fiction and non-fiction titles, single authored poetry collections are now eligible for the prize, uh, which is really cool because previously there were only like kind of, not to say obscure poetry prizes, but poetry doesn't get a lot of attention in Australian literature or indeed anywhere, but we have some awesome poets yeah. who are homegrown. And, yeah. Good news for the likes of Vincent. We absolutely do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it also, it, it continues to, to mark out Stella as one of the really interesting uh, literary prizes in that it's an open slather. Uh, it's, it's, uh, if you're judging that prize, you are comparing uh, nonfiction with novels and now poetry as well. Uh, you're, you just, you've got an open field and you're looking for the best possible writing. Uh, imagine that task. It's, it's not easy, um, but the, the lists that come out of it are really interesting. And they've also announced the new judging panel, which is going to be chaired by Melissa Lukashenko, and she knows her shit. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. I think she's like a former Stella judge. She's a two-time Stella Prize mm. listed author. Um, she's chairing the panel, and she's joined by Declan Fry, Kate Kennedy, Sasanke Umsamang, and Oliver Reeson, um, which sounds like a friggin' phenomenal lineup. Um, I know a couple of those names. I'm a big fan of Oliver Reason's uh, criticism. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to next year's Stella Prize announcement. Poetry's pretty obscure and there's a lot out there that we don't actually get sold in until it and don't hear about till it becomes a big thing. Um, but yeah, I'm really keen to see what comes out next year. Mm. Okay, so moving on, uh, that's the major item for news this week. So shall we talk about the books that we've been reading and loving? How does that sound? That sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> ben, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been reading a lot of things. Uh, I'll pull out a couple of books um, to focus on. Um, I've read the new Chris Hammer, and ah. it's got to be the most entertaining book I've read this year <laughs> in terms really? of... Uh, a. a a, a crime novel, this this uh, this thing has it all. Um, it's called Treasure and Dirt. It's out in October. Uh, Chris Hammer is a, a former journalist, a camera bloke, and um, he he broke out with a book called Scrublands, um, which is uh, the first of a, a trilogy of novels uh, uh, starring this um, journalist, uh, Martin Scarsden. Uh, this novel is not a Scarsden novel. It is still Australian rural crime. Uh, it has it has two heroes, um, uh, both inside the police force. Uh, you've got one kind of rising star detective bloke named Ivan, uh, 
who already has demons and a uh, bit of a pokies habit. <laughs> and uh, another is uh, not a detective, but uh, an officer stationed way out um, past Lightning Ridge. Uh, her name is Nell, and she is a woman in a man's world for certain. Uh, and this town called Finnegan's Gap is is um, is a fictional town, loosely based on on kind of Lightning Ridge and beyond. It's a is an opal mining town, and my God, it is just like the Wild West. Uh, you've got cults, you've got uh, miners that are drunk on the sun and and desperate to be lucky. Uh, you have drug dealers. You've got shady cops. Uh, you've got um, billionaire mining magnates, uh, like a couple of them <laughs> that are in, in battle with one another. Uh, it is, it's, this book has just got it all. And it keeps you guessing. Uh, the, the, the thing opens uh, with a, a group of blokes uh, cracking open a mine shaft to try and do some clandestine uh, they call it ratting, where you where you break into another bloke's uh, shaft and and um, uh, sort of mine his plot, <laughs> and and try and get some gold or, or gems from it. Uh, and these these dudes stumble on a crucified body, uh, and it, it just all goes from there. Uh, and it's just bloody wild. Uh, I'm obsessed with it. I I just think it's a ripper. I think it's um I think Chris Hammer knows what he's doing and and this is his best work yet it's just it's just it's so entertaining it's ridiculous i actually really want to read this one because i was doing like catalog christmas catalog copy edits and like going through all the blurbs for the books and i was reading that one going man i really should try uh, i should give chris hammer another try because this one sounds insane yeah if uh yeah, if there's I can't a time to try chris hammer it'll be this book my, one of my main nice. claims to fame is uh, a quote i wrote in my review of Scrublands is printed on the back cover of Scrublands. So uh, I was always very excited when I had my own bookshop to display that book back cover front instead of the other way around because it had my name on it. <laughs> so I love Chris Hammer's stories and I really look forward to this one. A bit of a change from the, the series. Yeah, and Martin Scarson is, is, is still a presence in this in this book, but I, I, I won't spoil it by saying in, in what way, shape or form. Um, the other book uh, I'll, I'll draw attention to. Um, okay, but he's a, he's a side character. Yeah, well, I'll, I won't say, Scott. Um, <laughs> uh, the other book I'll, I'll, I'll touch on really quickly uh, is one I've just completed. Uh, it's by Michelle de Kretzer, uh, who's a Sri Lankan-born Australian writer, um, one of my favourites of all time, just most incredible intelligent writer working today um she has been awarded and and listed for numerous things uh, her, her books include questions of travel and life to come uh this new one is called scary monsters right and it is not a big book and the first thing you'll notice about it is that uh, it's double, it's got two covers and it, it flips. <laughs> so you can, you can start reading this book from either side and, uh, you're not told what to do. And essentially, you know, all, all of 
all of Michelle's fiction is is structurally a bit different. She doesn't follow the the single <laughs> uh, character journey, uh, four hundred pages, full stop uh, story. And she she's she always does something a little bit different, uh, or at least has been known to. This this it's essentially like two chunky novellas uh, that are thematically very similar, but physically, metaphysically, just very different stories. Um, the first I read was from this beautiful side with the cherry blossoms on it. <laughs> I thought that was nice. Um, and it's, it's set in a near distant future Australia in which the place is devolved into a totalitarian state, even further than today. And uh, people of uh, ethnic descent uh, live in constant fear of repatriation, it's called. Uh, so even if you're a, a third or fourth generation immigrant, you can be repatriated to another country at will, um, the drop of a hat. Uh, Islam is is banned. Um, the climate has warmed to a terrifying degree, and um, the government non-policy on climate is um, is a fundamental value, an Australian value that has to be espoused by everyone. Um, if you are a reformed Muslim, you have to go to church every Sunday, <laughs> um, and at church. You're not uh, told about the gospel. You're you're just told about financial success. Like there's there's, there's all these horrifying factors to this novel. Um, it's it 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 just showcases um, Decretz's uh, cutting commentary um, to the nth degree, uh, and so the concept of scary monsters. Um, kind of manifests in the form of, yeah, racism, uh, misogyny, and ageism. Ageism's huge in, in, in that story in particular. It's called the, the Lyle story because Lyle is the character you follow. Um, mm. And uh, it's essentially they have this kind of final solution um, to put a really horrible term for it for um, the aging population, which is essentially just rampant euthanasia. Um, for the elderly, um, and you know they just keep framing it in terms of delivering liquidity to the property market, which is an Australian value. <laughs> um, yeah. It's 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 ah, um, it's heavy, man. Bloody um, hell! I love this. <laughs> um, it lit my brain on fire, and it will light your brain on fire too. That's what Michelle does. And the other story is uh, set a couple of decades back in time. Uh, it's uh, the south of France um, and a little bit of Sardinia. In um, the 1980s, uh, a Sri Lankan Australian, or at least an Asian Australian um, student um, uh, is spending time over there and she's teaching and she's trying to model a life for herself after Simone de Beauvoir. Uh, and uh, it's like this age of uh, the punk rock aesthetic 
uh, and there's a lot of um, there's separatism going on. There's there's stuff with Spain over the border um, that's really intense. Uh, there's uh, North Africans in the kind of market square of this town. This person lives that are, that are constantly being rounded up by the police. So racism is just left, right, and center. Class is a big thing, but just um, what it means to be an empowered woman uh, and and the dangers of, of, of being a woman and being alive uh, is just a, a big theme in that story. It's it's like of of all like Michelle de Kretz's books, like I. I don't feel like I'm doing justice to this. I keep them on my shelf when I read, <laughs> read them because they're the kind of book that you return to again and again, and you will get more out of them again and again. They're the kind of books that like people will read in decades time and will still be loving and talking about and passing on to like a new generation. She's, she's that special, Michelle Lepetzer. I agree, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, Ben. They sound incredible. I know Michelle de Kretz is a big, um, is much loved on Booktopia stuff. So uh, I have that one on my shelf and I'm really keen to dive into. Uh, so thank you so much, Ben. Uh, Nick, what have you got for us? Um, I've bought two books with me this week and I have been continuing on a kind of a non-fiction kick that I've been enjoying over the last uh, couple of times that I've been on as a guest. Um, the first one, which is uh, uh, an autobiography and I was very lucky to, to actually interview this author um, as part of uh, as part of our Booktopia podcast was the new memoir from Brandon Jack 28. Um, this is uh, a story so Brandon Jack for those who are not familiar he is a former uh, AFL player he used to play for the Sydney Swans and this is basically the story of his relationship with sport in general in his life. Um, now, many people, I know, you know, some people look at, at sports memoirs and kind of almost roll their eyes a little bit because there's the, that, that's, there's, there seems to be a bit of sense of genericness around a lot of sporting memoirs, but this is very different, this memoir. I think it, what's fantastic about this is that uh, Brandon's uh, story is a very, very, very interesting one. He goes through phases of, of playing sport, being a professional athlete and is suffering a complete lack of understanding of himself, of identity, of his masculinity. Um, and he really kind of does a lot of, of uh, self-analysis or uh, in this book, um, particularly around the nature of sport itself and how sport actually impacts uh, young male athletes. And the, the kind of very uh, exhilarating, but also uh, on the flip side, quite tox uh, toxic world of trying to win at all costs. Um, even when you're within a space of playing in a team sport, there is such a sense of competitiveness now uh, that, that just uh, permeates through that, that world. Um, and he's now kind of, he's now a, a, a musician. He's now a writer, of course. And he's he's now gone down a, a very creative route um, after after choosing to to retire from uh, from the world of, of professional sport, which I think is such a an interesting uh, examination, an interesting life journey that he has been on. Because so many people, when they leave that sporting landscape, they actually choose to stay in that bubble and that space. It's a very um, kind of insular world, and he's he's kind of really taken a 
a very a different route. Um, so even if you are someone who is not a massive fan of sport or that kind of sporting uh, like landscape in the examination of it, I recommend you do give this one a shot because it does actually, it can be quite surprising in terms of its analysis of that landscape and also the analysis of of the people within it. I think it's, he, he, uh, Brandon makes a fantastic example. I kind of asked him about his, uh, how being in the creative arts and in the creative industry compares to being in the world of, of the sporting environment. And he said, surprisingly, it's actually quite similar because both of you, when you are doing both things, you are trying to create order out of chaos. Um, in the sporting landscape, you're trying to complete that perfect pass or score that perfect try or whatever. And similarly, when you're creating music, you're trying to make sure that every single, that you're trying to create a vibe to a tune or, or a sense of, of rhythm and harmony or whatever the capacity you're trying to go for. And so it's a very interesting uh, examination of both himself, his, uh, his relationship with football, his masculinity, and uh, also his love of art and music. Highly recommended. Um, wow, cool. Thank you. And the second book, which I'm currently in the process of reading, I'm currently in the, in the process of, of putting together a, a, my second book at the moment um, of my own. And uh, yes, I know <laughs> it's, it's taken a while and it's, it's a long, long and winding process of writing a novel, but it is a huge amount of fun. Um, and I was, and one of, and this, this book that I'm writing, and this is not just meant to be a plug for my own book. It's, it hasn't even been completed yet. It leads to an actual book. Uh, but one of the elements that I, that is involved in this book is examining country um, and uh, representing indigenous people correctly. And I've been connected to this fantastic book uh, released by uh, Dr. Terry Janke uh, called True Tracks. Um, she is a, a Miriam and Ruthie lawyer and basically, it's a, uh, this book is a fantastic work, kind of more on the academic side of things, which is why I'm saying it's, it, I've been going down some weird, weird, uh, you know, tracks when it comes to this nonfiction kick I've been on. Um, and what this fantastic book is if for, you know, for anyone who is, who is looking to represent Indigenous people correctly, um, whether it be um, through art or architecture, film, publishing, um, dance, science, tourism, whatever, this book actually kind of breaks down and goes into the nitty gritty of the, the appropriate ways to address Indigenous peoples, the appropriate way to uh, use their knowledge in a correct fashion um, that pays respect, um, as well as kind of really providing a sense of education and understanding as to the potential impact of not doing this sort of stuff correctly can have. Um, it also, it just is very great. It provides very fantastic um, guidelines to enable people to actively practice and manage uh, and properly represent Indigenous peoples. Um, but also it's, it's a fantastic tool to help kind of uh, really give, if hopefully the, the goal and the aim of it is to try and in, uh, benefit everyone and kind of empower future generations to represent Indigenous people in the correct way, shape and form. I think it's a very, fa uh, very fascinating book. Um, a bit more, I've I don't really go for sort of academic texts and stuff like that, but this has been, this is a really fantastic examination of a fantastic way to, to represent Indigenous people correctly. Highly recommended. True Tracks. I think Lockdown's Sorry, Liv, I was just going to say, I think Lockdown's helped Nick with his, his uh, academic, you know, his gravitas, his, his uh, study of, of uh, other subjects. <laughs> You've got the time to do it now. You're digging deeper. 
it's it, it is kind of funny that uh you know similar to or similar to kind of uh, actual fictional text when we were when i was studying university that often you you, re you revisit them outside the context of university and you're like actually this is really good just on its yeah. own merits as, as a book some in a weird way i actually have a, a similar reaction to some non-fiction texts as well um and even though i'm this is a brand new book that's just come out um i highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in this particular subject and is looking or is looking to try and uh, incorporate um an indigenous perspective in a way that is respectful and, and understanding of that space so highly recommend it thanks so much nick um, terry's a very impressive woman um she answered a Q&A for the blog and her answers were just, oh, she's so smart. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have the intelligent words to explain how smart she is, but you'll just have to take my word for it or go and check out the Q&A on the blog. Um, but thank you, Nick. There were some excellent suggestions there, as always. And thank you for being so very patient, Scott. It is now your turn to share the books that you've been reading and loving with us. Yeah, sure. Well, I also have two to share this week and a mixed bag is often the case with me, uh, one fiction, one non-fiction, but both in the um, period of World War II. Um, I'm not intentionally going down. A and the first one uh, just was released this week. It's called The Riviera House by Natasha Lester, who is, um, well, she's more than up and coming. She's a hugely successful, growing all the time with each book uh, author from Western Australia. She's Perth-based and uh, her books the Paris Secret, French photographer, Paris seamstress have been very popular. You might notice a theme in these titles. She's really big on France. And that's certainly the case with uh, the Riviera House. This is a story with a dual narrative. And uh, the historical story is about uh, Eliane Dufour, who works uh, for the Louvre. Um, she's an art history expert. And during the occupation of the Nazis, she's forced to work for them in cataloging, not just the uh, works in the French museums, but all the stolen works of art from works of art from Jewish families forced to give up or their art or sell it at a pittance uh, to the Nazis. And um, she secretly decides to record all these paintings, uh, what they are, take a copy of the record she's making to pass on to the resistance so they can keep track of where they've gone, where they've been hidden. And of course, many are being squirreled away to Hitler's private collection and to Hermann Goering's collection. He's got an art expert that's helping him choose the best, the best that he that ends up in his home. Uh, this is true to history. And she is risking everything uh, by keeping a record privately to pass on so that they cannot lose track of these priceless works of art that have been stolen either from the state or from Jewish families. And this character is based, um, uh, that's Eliane Dufour, but uh, she worked with Rose Valland, who uh, is her boss at the museum. And Rose Valland is a real character from history who did this uh, hiding the information uh, and with, you know, standing the possibility, uh, getting the possibility of being killed if she was caught. She spoke German, but she didn't let on she spoke German. So she could eavesdrop on conversations and the, the Nazis um, uh, didn't know that she could understand. And that's a fascinating story in itself about 
the stolen works of art and there are many non-fiction books on the subject and I've now gone down a separate rabbit hole to read some of those non-fiction ones. The contemporary story is about Remy Lang who's an Australian who has a popular vintage fashion business and she inherits this uh, villa on the Riviera and the French coast and she goes there to overcome a family tragedy. She's in mourning and uh, whilst there she looks through a catalogue of all this stolen art from World War II from Goering's collection and she's shocked to see in this catalogue a picture that hung on her wall in her childhood home in Sydney. She was adopted and she doesn't know much about her biological parents background but this painting had come with her. How could she possibly be connected to stolen works of art and Hermann Goering? So that's the connection between the then and the now story. It's a great mystery. It's got a love story in it too, which Natasha's books always tend to have. So there's something for everyone. If you like history, if you like uh, a bit of a mystery, if you'd like a bit of a romance, it's all in there. Um, her covers are very sort of feminine type covers but i've got to tell you as a bloke interested in history it's really good book so men shouldn't be put off by the 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 girly looking cover um very well researched history a really good yarn that i highly recommend it only came out this week uh and that's um the riviera house so that's my first one um you've read some of natasha's haven't you ben i've touched on natasha i've, I've certainly ordered enormous quantities for our yes. book website <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's crazy, those, uh, authors are just just getting more and more popular um yeah. and you know just from hearing that description you can you can hear why it just sounds like she's got it all down pat <laughs> yeah that's right got the whole package well her publisher has shared actually produced an advanced proof copy which you know publishers always do of books for reviewers like me to read ahead of time but they produced it in hardcover and that just shows how much they're getting behind her and how much she's growing because mm. it's really rare for a hardcover advanced proof to be produced so has shared really believe in her and uh you know deservedly so. So the second book uh, that's in World War One, uh, World War Two, I'm sorry, is nonfiction, and it's called X Troop, The Secret Jewish Commandos Who Helped Defeat the Nazis. It's by Leah Garrett. And Leah Garrett is, um, she heads the Jewish Studies Department, the Jewish Studies Center at Hunter College in New York. And it's really well researched. It actually reads like a novel, like a thriller, but it's, it's very mm -hmm. true about this troop of uh, men who were Jews who had escaped from uh, Germany and Austria mainly uh, before World War II and got to England and then they were um, locked up in camps because they were considered enemy aliens until 1942 when Churchill started uh, decided to begin this elite commando troop that was known as the X troop and uh, gave them the opportunity to get out of their internment as enemy aliens and help um, they were given new identities fake names uh, anglicizing their names so it wasn't obvious that they were Jewish because if you name something like you know Shmuley Goldberg you don't want to be going back to Europe behind enemy lines so they were given anglicized names and they were sent back to Europe to uh, help in the interrogation to get intelligence from German uh, prisoners uh, who were caught in Europe and to gather intel and to work also to um, fight in combat and D-Day, the taking of Sicily, uh, there's all sorts of stories in there. But he, she focuses on three main men who were part of this X troop, Manfred Gans, Peter Masters and Colin Anson um, and what happened to them and not just 
before and during the war, but afterwards also. So it's very satisfying. You get the story of the rest of their lives too. But as I said, this book reads like a novel, like a thriller. The PS to the story is also the discrimination they faced when they came to England, escaping to freedom supposedly, but then considered enemy aliens and lots of uh, anti-Semitism and discrimination they mm -hmm. found there. Uh, I found it very gratifying that, as I said, it followed all of their lives. And even if you're not a military history reader, which I normally aren't, uh, I'm not, I normally am not, I should say. Uh, it, um, it's, it's really a great, exciting read anyone, for anyone interested in history and something a bit quirky and different because we knew nothing about it. So 87 people in that X troop with really interesting stories throughout. Highly recommend it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Scott. You always come up with the most interesting historical like novels and books and Oh, I just love listening to you talk about them. Oh, well, thank you. I, if, if, uh, there's no point in talking about the books that everyone's always talking about. It's nice to inject a few different ones in there that people don't know about and uh, spread the word. 100%. Uh, thanks so much, guys. As usual, amazing recommendations. Um, we are nearing the final, uh, asp the final part of today's episode, and that is, of course, Book Fight, our weekly book trivia quiz. Um, so I'm going to ask you some questions, you're going to shoot the answers back at me, and whoever gets them first will get, um, will get the point. Can I please have your buzzers? Ben, what's your buzzer word going to be? Lilac. Lilac. And Nick? Tracks. Lovely. And Scott? Well, given what I just said, extra. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question one. Who is the next chair of judges for the Stella Prize? Extra. Lilac. I did hear Scott first. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't cut out then when it counts <laughs> with my internet problems today. Uh, it is um, uh, um, Melissa Lu Lukachenko. Correct. M Melissa, Melissa Lukachenko. Correct. Melissa Lukashenko is the next chair of the Stella Prize judging panel. Well done, Scott. All right, question two. The Netflix show The Haunting of Bly Manor is based on which classic novel? Oh, why? Is it like a... I don't know anything about novels. LAUGHTER <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're only fiction category. You're a very famous American writer. Is it like, can we can can we get a clue on the writer, or is the writer will the writer completely give it away? Um, yeah, I can give you a clue. Uh, his name is technically two first names, so his surname can technically be used as a first name. Oh, X Troop. Yes, yeah, Scott. Uh, Henry James. Yeah. What's the novel? Uh, the Turn of the Screw. Well done. That is amazing. Yes, uh, it is indeed. The Turn oh of the Screw by Henry James. Um, who, as well as writing amazing novels like The Portrait of a Lady and The American and Washington Square, also wrote a lot of ghost stories. Yeah. There you go. I'm surprised myself for that one. Read him at school. <laughs> haven't read him since. Well done. All right. Uh, question three is worth three points. So three of Taylor Jenkins Reid's novels are set in the same universe with overlapping stories and characters. Which three novels are they? Bilac. 
Enggak, iya kan? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just gonna like guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Is that yep. one of them? Yep. Sure uh, uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. Yep. And the other one. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Malibu Rising, is that the new one? Yes. Well done, Ben. Was you that the three? three? That's the three. Oh. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> uh, I retire. <laughs> that puts you out in the lead by one point. Well done. So, yes, the three knolls, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Daisy Jones and the six, and Malibu Rising. Well done, Ben. Right, question four. In Madeline Miller's novel, The Song of Achilles, what is the name of Achilles' great love? Oh, uh, I know that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I should know this. It's all so much of this book. <laughs> I know this one. I do. I was really hoping you'd say, what's the name of his, what's the, what's the name of the, of the protagonist? And I was like, no. <laughs> God dang it. Oh. Wouldn't that be Achilles? <laughs> no, isn't it Patroclus? No, it's Patroclus. Yeah. Patroclus, who's oh. the... Uh, I heard that. Nick said the correct answer. I didn't yeah, buzz, though. Oh, uh, 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 tracks. <laughs> Patroclus. <laughs> that is one thing. Yes. You know, I thought that the special edition of The Song of Achilles came out today for some reason. And it, re- it does not. It comes out in the end of November. <laughs> so we've got to wait like the whole week, your, two months. Something to look forward to. Mm. I know. Beautiful. Anyway, question five. Here are two truths and a lie about the American writer F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, for one point, name the lie. So wait until I've said all three and then you can jump in with whichever one you think is not correct. So, Gertrude Stein was godmother to F. Scott Fitzgerald's daughter, Frances. Uh, His last royalty check before he died was for $13.13. And he worked as a screenwriter for MGM and was an uncredited script doctor on films like Gone with the Wind. Extra. Which one's the lie? Lilac. Uh, Ben? Who are you asking? I I think it was X Troop first. What I why, don't, why don't we all get a guess? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he gets it wrong. I think it was his last uh, check was not $13. Yeah, I no, would guess that as well. <laughs> Sorry? Well, you're both wrong. Oh, you're both well, wrong. There you go. The last royalty check was indeed $13.13, and he got it about four months before he died of heart failure, which is very sad. Um, oh. Nick, uh, did you want to have a guess? I'll have a crack for tracks. It's a 50-50, so, and I have a notoriously bad record on getting the wrong 50%. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he, it's, it's got to be the first one. It's such a random... I, I, like, I, I feel like he would have potentially been involved given his, reputa- uh, given his background uh, with, in, in, in film. I think it's the first one that's the lie. You're correct. Gertrude Stein was not godmother to his daughter, Frances. Uh, Stein was godmother to one of Ernest Hemingway's kids. 
or godfather. Mm, which is a fun fact. Oh, I had no oh, idea. Oh, she that they was yeah, wow. I had no idea that they would have even known each other. That's cool, right? <laughs> I, I did know that he was uh, a, a, a failure in Hollywood at the end of his life. Yeah, yeah. none of his own scripts were ever accepted by MGM, but he's doctored some uncredited, so, like Gone with the Wind, and there's another one that I can't remember the name of. But yeah, fun facts. You can't mm. say you never learn anything in book, book fight. That's, All right, isn't, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? one of the greatest movies ever made and he, and he couldn't put his own name on it? <laughs> <laughs> More common than you think, I think. Yeah, true. Alrighty, question six. Um, so potential seven points up here for grabs. Oh, God. Oh, wait, no. I just gave away the answer. No, never mind. One point up for grabs. Because <laughs> I just gave away the answer. Oh, man. It's the answer right. is seven. <laughs> I've just changed the question. Uh, so Morris okay. Fleitzman's Once series has seven books in it. Um, what's the, the last one was just released. Uh, what is it Tracks. Called? Tracks. Yes, Nick. Always. You're correct. <laughs> the other question was going to be... How many are there? How many are there? Name all of them? Oh, how many yeah, are there? <laughs> I was about to say, like... Uh... It was going to be name them, like, how many are in the series and can you name them? So that's technically eight. Um, so do I get, so do I get seven points for getting always right? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Worth a shot. All right, this, this last question. Oh, oh, no. I've got two more questions. I'm, my apologies. I'm a mess today. Question seven. White Sargasso Sea by Jean Rhys is a re-examination of which classic novel? I like. Yes, Ben. Uh, it is Jane Eyre. You're correct. You've told me something. I never knew that. Really? It's not a straight retelling. It's uh, the story of the mad wife in the attic. Okay. But with a interesting, like, exploration of race relations and white womanhood and whatnot. Yeah, very good novel. Hmm. All right, the final question. There are four points up for grip. Uh, only if, this is a who am I question. It says potential four points up for grabs if you can guess the author before I name their first novel. Um, otherwise, it's two points. So the okay. final scoreboard Sounds is... fair. Yeah. So the scoreboard currently stands with Nick and Scott at two points each. And Ben is ahead on four. So this could go potentially to a tiebreaker or Ben could just steamroll you all. We'll have to wait and see. Good luck, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who am I? I was born and raised in Castle Bar, County Mayo, in 1991. I started writing when I was 15. I studied English at Trinity College, Dublin, where uh, I was elected. My Oh, like. uh, Yeah. Uh, Sally Rooney. Damn, yep. <laughs> didn't even get to the big thing. Wow. I was about to say, like, the moment, you said, the moment you said Dublin, I was like, oh, God, I did And when you said county, blah, 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 I was thinking, oh, no, it's an American writer. I don't know anything about American yeah. writers. But then I was like, oh, no, 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 this is Sally Rooney. Who else, who else of note was born in 1991, apart from me, obviously? So oh, I guess you've just proved, Ben, that there's a reason you're a fiction category manager. You know your novels and novelists. Well done. <laughs> oh, some of them. <laughs> some of them. Just the ones that are going to sell in a lot of books. 
Um, but other fun facts about Sally Rooney's life. Um, she was elected scholar at Trinity College in 2011. She was a keen university debater. Um, this is probably common knowledge, but just in case you didn't know, she was at one point the top debater in the European University Debating Championships around 2013. And she wrote I would an not essay want to have about a debate with her. Mm. I know, it would terrify me. Um, but yeah, in 2015, she wrote an essay called Even If You Beat Me, which is about her time as the top competitive debater, um, which was what won her an agent and uh, the publication of her first novel, Conversations with Friends. There you go. And That's her next really novel cool. is coming out next Tuesday called Beautiful World, Where Are You? And that is the day on which we will finally be able to talk about this book. <laughs> it's driving me insane. <laughs> Yeah, by the well, time it comes around, we're on an embargo to talk about it, even though there's reviews everywhere. So we're, <laughs> we, we are, but we are legally allowed to say that we're looking forward to it, as long yeah. as we don't say that outside a five-kilometre radius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well said. We're a readership of concern. Gladys right. made it very clear. <laughs> if I ever see Gladys reading a Sally Rooney novel, I might just dive. I don't know. Not shock. That seems a bit mean to say. <laughs> well, I Anyone think my shock would be that she has time to read any novels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or any premiere, like not just Gladys. down with a sensitive novel about four white Dublin, uh, four white Irish people having a lot of kinky sex. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good novel. Beautiful. That's all we're allowed to say. Anyway. That is all we have time for this week. I'm going to wrap it up before I say something else stupid. Thank you so much to Ben, Nick and Scott for joining me today on the Weekend Booktopian. And thanks to all of our wonderful listeners who tune in week after week. I forgot to mention that Ben obviously won Book Fight with eight points. Congratulations, Ben. <laughs> Yay, Ben, Woo. with a non-existent prize. Woo. You get bragging rights. You can find all of the books we've discussed today in the description box below, so be sure to check them out. They're all available from booktopia.com.au, but feel free to go and show your local bookstore some love in these trying lockdown times. The Weekend Booktopian is produced by Nick Wasiliev, and you can find more episodes of this show, as well as other fun podcasts, on our SoundCloud and Apple Podcast channels. And don't forget, you can also find more fun bookish content on our blog, The Booktopian. Thanks for listening, and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget... You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.